Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, a word of encouragement to you. That's all it is. And uh, you can sign up, and it will come electronically to you automatically every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Brand new word. And now open your Bibles to the gospel according to Luke, please. Luke 7, 11 to 17. We are in chapter 7, if you remember, if you were here last week. If not, you can listen to the message online. We looked at Capernaum's centurion. You might remember that from last week. Capernaum's centurion. The man demonstrated great faith, faith that uh, Jesus had never seen. Jesus had not seen faith like that in all of Israel. And this was a pagan centurion that demonstrated this kind of faith. Now we come out of that message into this one. The title is The Funeral Procession Postponed in Nain. Funeral Procession Postponed in Nain. Powerful, powerful word. Luke 7, 11 to 17, there were a number of uh, men went to a conference on um, legacy, leaving a legacy, and what would you like said about you? It's a great line. What would you like said when all is said and done about you? And a couple guys got together, and they were talking about it after all that they had learned at the conference. You know, what do you want said? And one of the, both of them, were, they were pastors, and one guy said, I just wanted to, to say that I was, you know, a good servant. I loved my wife and family, and I served God and, and preached the, the whole counsel of God. And I just, I just, that's the legacy I want to leave behind. And the guy says, what, what did you learn from the conference? What would you like said about you? He said, I'd like, when they look at me down front, I'd like them to say, hey, look, he's still moving. <laughs> You're going to see that. This guy's moving. Wait till you see after Jesus speaks. Powerful, powerful, powerful. But I want you to know something. We're not going to focus on what you think we would and what most people do, which is the power. We're going to look at providence. You're going to see something really deep here. This is a very important message for all of us today and how God normally works in the world, especially in the lives of his people. Providence, okay? Luke 7, 11 to 17, hear now the word of God. Soon afterward... Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country, and may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Let's pray. Father, it's no accident that we're here this morning, everyone by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel. Make it a word of salvation for those who are not saved, a word of comfort for those in storm winds, and a word of rest for those who are tired and weary and heavy laden. Father, give us minds to understand the deep truths of the gospel and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Meet all of us this day in our place of deepest need and thunder forth from this pulpit your truth. Help us to put away all worldly care at this time. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, 
Three things, very simply. Funeral procession postponed in name. Three things. Number one is providence. We're going to look at that. It's important to get this. Number two is pity. And finally, number three is power, which is where most people settle on this account. But we'll look at those other two things first. Remember Jesus, when we did the Gospel of John in particular, he used this phrase, my hour, my hour, my hour has not come. Finally, the hour comes. Why? Why? There's a cosmic clock. You know, the clock wasn't ticking in eternity past. There was no time. But when God created and God spoke, the clock started ticking. And every tick of that clock is on purpose. Every single thing that takes place is intentional. And everything is accomplished according to God's divine purpose. That's the first thing that we need to get on this because this is an overwhelming passage and the deeper portion of the message is often missed. We focus right on the dead man getting up, which is a powerful story, but there's something much deeper that's taking place. Remember, God speaks, right, and there's life. But, but here's something that's powerful. Isaiah 46, my purpose will be what? Established. God's purpose will be established. Nothing will thwart the purposes of God. Every purpose that God has for you in your life will come to pass. And he will work through all of that through what we call divine providence. And I'll show you what that means now as we move forward, okay? Be ready for this. this we're going to head out into deep water and let our nets down for a catch. This should... This should rock your, your, your world spiritually. It should deepen your faith. It should drive the roots deep into the soil of the sanctified life. When you understand that God is in control of every single aspect of every single thing that is taking place, has ever taken place, and ever will take place. This is the power. This is the real power. Okay? Funny thing happened on the way to the cemetery. Let's take a look. His providence, number one. His providence. Just remember, all of the, the philosophers in, in Greece, all of them understood um, there was some kind of divine intentionality behind everything. Remember that? They, they didn't think all of this simply happened by chance. The philosophers knew better. They knew that there was too much organized order in, in the world that, that simply didn't come out of chaos. But, but what was, and, and the same term we use, the logos. And, but what was the logos for the, for the philosophers? The logos was a principle. There was a principle behind everything that caused it all to work. They could look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, and, and they knew it didn't happen by chance. It didn't just happen. They knew that there was something behind it. So for the philosophers, the logos was a principle. But John tells us the logos is what? Not a principle, a person. There, there, there is an organizing principle at work, but there's something behind the principle. That's a person, and his name is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Logos is Jesus, not a principle, a person. That needs to be clearly understood as we launch out into providence because this is really deep. But it's easy to understand. And when we do, it begins to really transform our lives. Okay? Luke 7 11 to 12, we're going to stop at a few places here and just take a look. Jesus went to Nain. That's our first stop. Why? What's in Nain? What do you know about Nain? Likely you would know absolutely nothing about Nain if it wasn't for this, this situation. You wouldn't know anything about Nain. Nain was a very undescript town, a couple hundred people living there. Nothing. But Jesus is going to Nain. Why? He's got a purpose. 
He has a purpose for going to Nain. We're going to take a look at that in just a moment, okay? So don't miss this. So that's the very first thing. Jesus went to Nain. He's in Capernaum. Look, look, look here. He's in Capernaum. It's about 20 miles away. Okay, so let, let's walk through the passage. He's in Capernaum. 20 miles to go to Nain. Why? Why? We have to ask the question. What, what's in Nain? N- Nain still exists today. Maybe under 2,000 people there, small town. It still exists. But you wouldn't know anything about Nain. Nothing. Nothing. Now his disciples and a large crowd went with him. Okay, so now we've got to pause. A large crowd and his disciples. So if he's in Capernaum, a large crowd. How many people in a large crowd? We don't know. 500? 1,000? 5,000. We have no idea. You know what he's been doing. So they're flocking to him. So now this whole group is walking from Capernaum to Nain, about 20 miles. How long does that take? Whole day. He's not doing a power walk with heavy hands. He's walking and teaching and talking and preaching. And this whole massive crowd is with him. So you've got to figure a whole entire day to get to Nain. You still with me? Okay. Now we're walking to Nain. Why? Nobody knows except Jesus. Nobody knows. People in Nain don't know, and the people coming out of Capernaum have no idea. But then what? As he approached the town gate, just the right time, luckily, Jesus shows up. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. Okay, stay with me. Ready? Don't miss this. In that cultural context in Israel, Jew dies. They're buried immediately. Nobody's kept overnight. Put some spices. They didn't embalm. Put some spices on the body. Wrap with the cloths and get him into the grave immediately. So note this. It's early morning in Capernaum. Got to get that body in the grave. It's likely that Jesus is walking to Nain. And that guy isn't even dead yet. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But he's walking and talking and walking and talking. It's got to take at least 10, 12 hours. And he, so this guy dies at some point. And they put the spices on him and they wrap him. And they put him on the stretcher. And they start that funeral procession. And they walk out and just the right time. They're coming out the gate. And he's coming in. Whew. Thank God that Jesus just happened to show up. Providence. Don't miss this. Ready? God's sovereign superintendence of all things. Directed toward their divinely predetermined end. To accomplish his purpose, complete his plan for his glory. Do you understand that? Just leaving it in the story. It's early morning. They're leaving for Nain. Perhaps the guy isn't dead. They're walking. He dies. They prepare him. They wrap him. They start the funeral procession. And at the 10th hour, as they're coming to the gate, right at that perfect moment, Jesus had ordained all things whatsoever shall come to pass. They connect at the gate. That is providence. Let me make this perfectly. You're going to see the miracle in a moment. I'm not as impressed anymore that the further I've gone in my studies and the longer I've walked with you, I'm not that impressed anymore with miracles. I'm just not. The miraculous, it just doesn't seem that miraculous to me anymore. Because it's just, it's just a power of God goes out and it's done. That's awesome. It's awesome. The lame walk, the blind see, the, the lepers are healed, the dead are raised. That's awesome. It's the power of God. Providence. How would you figure that one out? 
thousands and thousands of contingencies and circumstances that have to come together perfectly to accomplish his plan and purpose in your life. Riddle me that, Batman. How would you possibly explain that? He didn't just happen to go to Nain. He didn't happen to go to Samaria. Why? Why does it say in John chapter 4, I must needs go to Samaria? Why? Because there was a well and it was Jacob's. And at the well he was going to meet his bride. You understand? There was no accident to go to Samaria. Every single step Jesus takes is on purpose. Every single one. Everything in your life is happening on purpose according to God's plan. He is superintending and overruling every single thing in the entire universe all at once. That is more miraculous to me than a miracle. That everything just perfectly took place. And here comes this guy. Now, funeral procession, just so that you can get this and understand. This is a big deal in, in Israel. This was a big deal. You hired some flute players to play some, some, some sad melodies. You had a cymbal player, right, banging the cymbal. Got to get a little dissonance in there, right, to, 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 to point to the discord and the dissonance of loss and death. And then there's another group. There's, there's a professional. They hired wailing women. Thank the good Lord we don't have that anymore today in the church. No hiring wailing women. No, we don't have that. But they had that back then. And, and, and the whole town, the whole town would gather and, and they would come together, and they would walk behind the dead person. And who would be in front of the dead person? The family. So who's in front of the dead person? Just the mom. She's alone. They're behind, and they're throwing dust, and they're wailing, and they're banging a cymbal, and they're playing the flutes, and, and it's just sad. And Jesus shows up in Nain. Don't miss this. Creation, corruption, Christ, and consummation. There's providence in every single. There's the whole story of the universe. There it is. It's right there, four words. I gave you four C's. Makes it easy to remember, right? Then I don't forget. Creation, corruption, the fall, Christ, center of all things, and then consummation. There it is. Providence, every single aspect. And how do we bring it to a close as far as understanding deeply providence? Ephesians 1, 9. I could have given you a hundred verses. Here's just one. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. Ready? He made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect. Don't, oh, don't miss. To be put into effect when the time reached there. Listen, Jesus may not always respond to you the way you like. And when you would like it, but he is always right on time. His timing is perfect. Always. And in every way. To bring what? Unity on earth as it is in heaven. To all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. There is nothing that happens outside of the will. Look at it this way. You have this divine ocean of purpose that has created all things. And out of that divine ocean flows these streams, unending streams of providence. You say, how is that possible? I don't know. I'm not God. I have no idea how it's done. Like I said, miracles make more sense to me 
He speaks, boom, get up, and they get up. But hundreds and thousands of circumstances that he's in control of to bring this woman and her dead son to the gate at that perfect moment to run into Jesus. It's unbelievable. He's doing it right now in your life. It's easy to miss that, isn't it? Sure it is, because we're caught up. Always looking for that miracle. Oh, I just wish God would show up. Newsflash, he already has. He's right in the middle of your mess. He's walking right through it with you. He's ordaining all things whatsoever shall come to pass, yet not violating your will. Your will. He takes all of that into account. He even uses the sinful acts of man. But that's God. His providence, let that truth seize you today. And then let providence flow right now into pity, number two. His pity. This is overwhelming. No gods, no, no, no mythical gods anywhere had pity, compassion, love, and mercy. No savior gods anywhere in the, in the world of mythology. This is the one true and living God whose heart is overwhelmed with compassion for you. Ready? Oh, boy. The only son. We're just going to flow through the passage. Easy to miss this. Why, why do we have to know the details? Of his mother, and she was a what? Widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, the crowd's doing their thing. They've gathered to mourn with her. They've gathered to help create an environment. They mourn for 30 days. So they're walking out. They're getting out. Oh, where, where, where are they walking? They're walking to her husband's grave to now put her son in. They're going back to where they buried the father. So she's going for a second time to the same place. She's going to bring her son. All of this has come together. All the mourners, the, the flute players, the cymbal bangers, the wailing women. And they're all walking. They've anointed the body. They've wrapped him. They've, they're coming out of town. And all of a sudden, it's Jesus. What they knew about him, we don't know. But he knows this is an only son. And he knows this is a widow. Remember, fully God and fully man. Fully God knew exactly what was going on and orchestrated it all. Okay? Only son. Listen to me. When the prophets painted a metaphorical picture of sad, really sad, they painted it through the loss of a son. The greatest loss in Israel was to lose the son. You lose your heritage. You lose your history. She's already lost her husband. Her support. Her protector. He's already gone. Now her only son is dead. Dead. Here's what the prophets say. We'll run through them very quickly. Jeremiah 6.26. Put on sackcloth, my people, and roll in ashes. Mourn with bitter wailing as for an only son. They couldn't find a metaphor sadder. Zechariah 12.10, they will look at me on the one that they have pierced, that's Jesus, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Nothing sadder. And Amos 8.10, I will make that 
time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. This is just pathos. This is just sad. But it gets sadder. She's not just a mother. So the story adds to the pathos now by telling us the only son of a mother who's a widow. It couldn't get any worse. This is as sad of a picture as there could be. But what's God's heart for widows? Ah, oh, cursed is anyone, Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the widow. Only giving you one verse on that. You know that's all throughout the old. His heart, the heart of compassion for God is overwhelming. Okay, so, so you see the story, right? And you're trying, to, you're trying to figure out the story. And you're trying to get inside the story. The story couldn't be sadder. You've got an only son who's dead. She's a widow. Father's already gone. Husband's gone. She's going to be a beggar on the street. Her life is done. History is over. Heritage is over. The family is done. It's over. And Jesus shows up. Ready? This is still under pity. <laughs> Luke 7, 13. Now, listen, here's what people will say. Let me, let me read it. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. We'll touch on that in a moment. So here's what the people in the crowd would say, and here's what people today would say in reading that. So the Lord's walking to Nain. They're coming out of the gate. By the way, there's, there's, there's no massive wall around the town. It's a nondescript, tiny little town. The gate just simply was there to establish the fact that it was indeed a town. The gates made it a town. Could just be some pillars and some stones or a real gate or could be anything. But, but there's a, at least a gate that identifies this is a town. This is where the elders, right, would sit and adjudicate all of the issues that would take place. They would sit at the gate. So here's how people would think, right? Jesus is walking and it says he, 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 he saw her, she was there, and people would say, oh, thank God, just the right time that he happened to show up, and he saw her, and he had compassion. No, no, he ordained that time from before the foundation of the world. Before there was ever any time, a widow who had lost her husband and son, coming out of the gate at Nain, he had ordained that. He had a divine appointment in Nain, like he did in Samaria, like he did the day he raised you from death to life, like he does today right now in your life. Everything is done by divine appointment. Don't miss this. But now listen to this. Notice what he says. Don't cry. How could you be so cold? Imagine the poor woman. Don't cry. We've hired a whole group of people to help us cry. The guy banging his cymbals, we hired him to create some dissonance, the flute players, some sad melodies, and the wailing women. We hired them. This is the time to cry. And he says, don't cry. Cold. Cold. Frozen cold unless, unless he has a cure for the cause of the cry. 
Don't cry. Okay? That takes us to Lamentations 3.22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In Judges, it said God could no longer, Judges 10, I think, God could no longer bear the misery of Israel. God, this is the only God, none of those mythical, has a heart of compassion, and a heart of compassion for you. But I want you to notice something before we get to the power. Nobody asks him for anything. They didn't send messengers to run to Capernaum and go get Jesus like Mary and Martha. They sent messengers to go get Jesus. They come to Lazarus. Last week, the centurion sent the elders to Jesus and said, my slave is dying. Nobody asked Jesus for anything. No request. No nothing. Here's my message to the faith healers. Listen to me carefully. Here's my message to the faith healers. Faith is not what heals you. Let me say that one more time. There's no faith here. You ever wonder why? If, the faith, if, if it was your faith that healed you, guess what would be omnipotent in your life? Not God, your faith. God responds to faith. But faith isn't what heals you. There was no faith here. God heals. In his divine providential purposes in this world, he heals when he chooses to heal, and he doesn't heal when he chooses not to heal. That is God's prerogative. But make no mistake, when the faith healer says, well, perhaps you didn't have enough faith. You don't need faith to be healed. Your faith isn't healing you. It's your faithful God. Shame on them. No faith here anywhere. Nothing rooted in redemption or self. Now, there's a picture of it, but forget that for a moment. Nothing rooted in salvation. Not the centurion. He says, I've looked and I've not found faith like this anywhere in Israel. No mention. Now the one you waited for, his power. Power. Number three. Ready? Luke 7, 14 to 15. Uh-oh. Then he went up and he touched. He did something you're not supposed to do. He touched the coffin. Bad translation. I'm sorry. I don't like to correct things often, but that's not, it's no coffin. How do you know it's no coffin? The passage doesn't tell you when he sits up that he banged his head. There's no coffin. It's called a beer. It's not, no, 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 coach, not the one you drink. No, stop. B-I-E-R, beer, beer, something they lay them on. They lay them on. They wrap them, they lay them on it, and they carry it, and he's laid out on it, and they're going to go to the, the, to the tomb, and they're going to go to the, the hollowed-out tomb, and they're going to put him on the ledge, and they're going to put him in there until the body decays, and they're going to scrape the bones off, put it in an ossuary, put it in a box, and stack the boxes up. And, that, and, that's, and they're heading to the, to, the, to, the, to the tomb where the father is. That's where they're going. But he touches something that he isn't supposed to touch. Go to Numbers. Book of Numbers tells us what? Ceremonially unclean. You can't even get anywhere near a dead body, but he touches it and what happens? Is he unclean? No, he's pure defiled, pure and undefiled. He is, he is, he is, he makes the unclean clean. No ritual uncleanness in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he touches it and they stop. They freeze. Now, don't miss this. He said, young man, pause. Who's he speaking to? A dead man. So he says to the mother, stop wailing. Now he says to the dead man, young man, this guy is whacked. 
He is as cold as cold could be if he isn't who he is. He's talking to the dead man. He always did that. The, the, the three funerals, he talked to the, he's going to talk to the Jairus' daughter. He's going to speak to her too. He spoke to Lazarus. They're dead. But he speaks to them. Boom. And the miracle takes place. And life infuses into the body. I can understand that. But all this providential stuff, whoo. Here we go. The dead man sat up and he began to talk. Now here's the whole point. We can talk about redemption and salvation and we can paint the picture of what this paints at the deepest possible level and we do that, but I'm not going to go there today. Why does he do it? It's right there. His heart broke for the poor woman and he gave her son back to her. That's why. That's your God. That's your God. That's the heart and compassion of your God. Overwhelmed with grief for this poor widow. He doesn't raise the guy and say, listen, now come, come be part of my entourage and tell the world what the Lord has done for you. He doesn't seek out TBN to put him on there and give his testimony. What does he do? He hands him back to his mother. Your mother needs you. Your mother needs you. Power. Let's look at a couple powers and then we're done. Okay? Power. You have to know about power, right? Right? Providence is, is, is overwhelming. You got to know about power. Does Jesus really have the power to do what he says he can do? And does he have, let's take a look. Power. A couple things. I put these in the D so we can remember these. Power over demons. You got to have power over demons, right? We know there's a demonic world. We know that's not just in the movies. That's real. It's clear. It's real. Just look at some of them little babies before they're even taught how to do bad stuff. You ever check? Yeah, t- talk to the parents. I remember, man, <laughs> Brock and Jenna, oh, man. There was no question. There were demons all around. <laughs> They'd do some stuff that just overwhelmed me. You're like, well, honey, where do you think they got that? It must have been you. It wasn't me. Just, there's just, listen, we are dealing with what? Where's the enemy? The enemy's not on the other side of the bed. In your bedroom, husbands and wives, that's not the enemy. Enemy's not here in the pew. Enemy's not, enemy is where? Enemy is in here. Here, we are fighting that spiritual battle moment by moment by moment. That dead man who has been raised from death to life because of God's divine grace, he spoke into your life, you're still in that battle until you get to the other side. There is a real supernatural battle that's taking place. We know that. The angels, the third of the angels that were booted out of heaven, that were kicked out of heaven, they fell because they rebelled against God. This is real. We know it's real. It's not just in the movies. So does Jesus have power over demons? we got to know that, right? we got to know that. There was a man possessed by a demon. Be quiet, Jesus said. Come out of him. And sure enough, the demon threw the man to the ground and came out of him without injuring him. So does Jesus have power over demons? Of course he does. How about disease? We need to know he has power over disease. Anybody, ever, anybody here been healed of any sickness and disease? We see that all the time. Who does the healing? Your faith? No, of course not. It's Jesus. The great physician does the healing. Yes, yes, we are to have faith. Yes, we are to believe and to trust. But make no mistake, when you don't get healed, not because you didn't have enough faith. It's what these faith healers tell us. You just didn't believe enough. Shame on you. Disease. Can he handle that? A man who had leprosy. My goodness. That's as bad as it gets, right? We have leprosy. That's as bad as, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out. Uh Uh-oh, here he goes. He's touching the unclean again. He's doing something you ought not to do, but that's Jesus. So he touches him. Doesn't need to, but he touches him. Why? Why? Compassion. 
The guy hasn't been touched in years. We don't know how long he's been in the leper community, but he's only around other lepers. No one's touched him. No one's given him a hug. A high five and a holy kiss, nobody. Jesus touches him. That's the heart of God. That's God's heart for you. I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Oh, my goodness. Power over death. We just saw it here. We'll get to Luke 8 later. Jairus, his daughter. He's a synagogue leader. Stop wailing. There he goes again. Stop wailing. Stop wailing. We hired, we, we hired these people to wail. Imagine now what's happened. He said stop crying. He touches. Can you, can you imagine what happens? Now, the, 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 boy, the man, the young man sits up and starts talking. I can imagine the mother out front turning around as she's coming back to, to grab her son and fall at the feet of Jesus. She must have said... Flute players and cymbal guy and wailing women, you're out of here. We don't need you no more. This is now a celebration. Go home. Because it's over. That funeral has every funeral Jesus ever goes to. He postpones. Interrupts it. Stops it. Shuts it down. It's a heart of compassion. Wailing woman on the way home. Flute player, done. Stop blowing those notes. Cymbal player, get out of here. This is a time of celebration. My son who was dead is now alive. Jesus gave him back to me. Stop wailing, he said. He took her by the hand and said, my my child, he's speaking to a dead child. Don't miss the little details. My child, get up. They're watching. Who is this guy? She's dead. No. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. But one more thing. We can't leave without this one. Demons are good. I want to know he's got power over demons and disease. Is okay. I want power over that. Got to have the power over death. I want that one. That one for sure, right? I can deal with demons. We'll fight the demons if we need to. And remember, demon's not in your toaster. If you burn your toast, you left it in too long. Don't say the devil. The devil's in my toaster. Don't do that. A lot of crazy stuff going on in the church today. Demons there, be real careful about that. Just be real, real careful about it. You burn your toast, you left it in too long, change the setting, take it out sooner. Don't say the devil did it. Now, there's some craziness about demons today. There really is. But, forget, but I want to know he's over demons. I want to know he's over death. But I got to get one more thing. That's not enough. I got to get one more D. I got to know he's over destiny. After I'm, after I'm raised from death to life, then what? Where am I going? What's he say to the good thief on the cross? Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Destiny. Let me make something perfectly clear that sometimes there's a bit of confusion in the church of Jesus Christ today. Did you know, are, are, are we clear? Revelations 1, 18, I believe, Jesus says, I was, I was once dead and now I'm alive and I hold the keys to, to Hades and to death. Jesus holds the keys. But in John, we're told this, there is a day coming. Listen to me. There's an hour coming when all of the dead will be raised. How come you didn't add in Christ? Oh, no, 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 no. Don't misunderstand me. Every single person who has ever lived will be raised from the dead. Then what? Well, the Bible says very clearly, those who have served the Lord and have done that which is good will be raised to everlasting life. And those who have done evil evil and wicked will be raised to everlasting judgment. 
real bodies connected with the Spirit for eternity. One everlasting life, the other everlasting judgment. Everyone's coming out. Died at sea, you're coming out of the ocean. You're in the ground, you've been cremated, your ashes have been spread all up there. They're all coming back together, all of it. And it's no problem for God. God will speak and they all will come up. And every, billions, billions, in one of two locations, everlasting life and everlasting destruction. Finishing the passage and we're done. Ready? They were all filled with awe. You could say reverence. You could say terror. The actual Greek is phobos, which we get our English word phobia. They're they're gripped with fear. Why? Why? Same reason that Isaiah was gripped with fear when he looked into the court of heaven in Isaiah 6 on the occasion of his call. Same reason Peter was gripped with fear in the boat when all the fish in the sea jumped into the boat and was inside the nets. The same reason that everyone who has an encounter with a holy God is gripped with fear and terror. Why? For that instant they realize the distance between a holy God and a sinful man and the gap which cannot be bridged on this side. They were overwhelmed. They knew God had showed up. And then we hear what? We hear the general Old Testament motif of God's visitation. Remember when you read that. Here, just go back to the passage. A great now, couple good things and a couple mistakes. A great prophet has appeared. Was Jesus a great prophet? Yes, but he was more than that. So, so they didn't go far enough. The great prophet, remember the promise? Remember the promise, Deuteronomy 18, Moses, God speaking to Moses, I will raise up from them a prophet like you, but the greater prophet, the prophet, the true prophet. So he's, he's better than great, he's God. He's appeared among us. God has come to help his people. So now, John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then we go to verse 14, John 1, 14, and the Word became what? Flesh and tabernacled. That's what's happening here. He is tent, God is tenting with us. God is tabernacling with his people. We have cried for God's visitation, and he has come. Remember Zechariah? Remember the father of John the Baptist? What does he say in his great song? That God has come to his people. God has come to visit with his people and to redeem them. All throughout scripture, this is a common theme that God is coming to tabernacle with his people. This is what's happening. But they missed the most important point. It was God himself. It wasn't God through the prophet. It wasn't God through a rock that gave water and God through a sky that dropped manna. It was God himself incarnate who took on flesh and was standing in their midst and said, I have come that you might have eternal life. Oh, my word. How, how do you close something like this? I, I, I don't know. Don't, don't. Let's, let's tie it into what really resonates with all of us. Okay. 
What's the one thing that really resonates? What really, where is the ground surely level when we get to the foot of the cross? In painful providence. That's when we're all really reduced to the, to the same level. We're all crushed under the weight of that. Every week we deal with that. Right? One death after another, one sickness after another, one cancer diagnosis after another. It just never goes away. On and on and on and on. And that's when we are all equal. We are driven to our knees at the foot of the cross. But I want to show you, listen to me. I want to show you God's providence in your pain. Ready? Pain is designed to correct. Job 5.17, blessed is the one whom God corrects. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Perhaps it has come to correct. Painful providence has come to teach. Psalm 119.71, it was good for me to be afflicted. Can you imagine saying that? It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Painful providence comes to teach. Oh, Isaiah tells us that painful providence comes to refine. Isaiah 48.10, I have refined you. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And then don't miss this last one. This is the heart and compassion of God to draw us near, nigh unto God. Isaiah 26.15, Lord, they came to you in their distress. I'm convinced of this truth as a pastor because I deal with it all, we, all the time. When the sky is blue and the clouds are fleecy and the sun is brightly shining, who's seeking the Lord? Let's just be honest, okay? And if it's you, come see me. Tell me how you're doing it, okay? Come meet me after. Just give me some insight. Sky is blue and the clouds are fleecy. The sun is brightly shining. Man, life is good. Who's seeking God? Show up on Sunday, read our Bibles, do our thing. But, who's, but when that storm wind comes, you look out on the horizon and you see it coming. I got a call last week right after the service. Someone said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm. Can you guess which one of those three stages in life that you talk about regularly that I'm, I'm heading into? Yeah. You're either in the middle of a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're heading back into a storm. He said, I'm heading back in. Can you pray with us? That's all there is. Three stages. But if the sky is blue and the clouds are fleecy, nobody's seeking God. But when them storm winds blow, it drives us to our knees. And we cry out in utter despair. My God, my God. Visit with me. Show up. God has sent that painful providence for two reasons. Two. Your good and his glory. That is the gospel. That is the whole counsel of God. That's what will keep you from walking away from your faith when the storm wind comes. Because if you live long enough, I promise the storm is on the way. Some of you are in the middle of it right now. You can't get away from the storm. All you can do is learn how to deal with it when it comes. And the only way to deal with it is to know that not only is God in Christ in your storm, he sent it. So 20 miles away, he's orchestrating every detail, every contingency, 
And at just the right time, he walks through the gate as the dead man is coming out with his widowed mother. And he raises him from death to life. That's the gospel. That's the power of the presence of God. You have an opportunity right now to receive Christ. His arms are stretched wide and his nails are scarred with openings from hanging on that cross. And he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Today is a day of salvation. Tomorrow it may not be. The storm may come tonight. Who knows? But today you cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And salvation is yours this day. Pray with me. Father, right now, if there's anyone here or by way of the internet who has never surrendered control of his or her life to Christ, draw them by the power of your Holy Spirit now. Draw them unto yourself, giving the gift of faith and repentance that they might rise up and cry out to you, O oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Father, salvation is available to all, to everyone who will cry out by grace through faith. Draw them unto yourself this day for your glory and your glory alone. And then for all those, Lord, who have walked with you many for decades, continue. Whether our students, students here, students off at college, all of our students, strengthen them in your faith. Continue to grow them up into Christ. Give them the confident assurance that he who began a good work will one day bring it to completion. And remind all of us this day, nothing, not our sin, not even Satan himself, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And that truth we hold dear this day. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you please stand and continue to worship with us? Savior of 